taking his first steps, and my eyes hadn't yet adjusted to the muted earth light. Having come from a place of dazzling light, shadows were foreign to us. Gabriel approached the bicycle, with its front wheel still spinning, and righted it. He propped it against the closest fence, knowing that the boy would return later to collect it. I imagined the boy bursting through the front door of his home and relating the story to his stunned parents. His mother would push the hair back from his forehead to check his temperature. His father, bleary-eyed, would comment on the mind's ability to play tricks on you when it has time to wander. We found Byron Street and walked along its uneven footpath, scanning for number 15. Already our senses were being assaulted from all directions. The colors of the world were so vivid and so varied. We had come from a pure white world to a street that looked like an artist's palette. Apart from color, everything had its own different texture and shape. The wind brushed against my fingertips, and it felt so alive, I wondered if I could reach out and catch it. I opened my mouth and tasted the crisp, sharp air. I could smell gasoline and burning toast, mingled with pine and the sharp scent of the ocean. The worst part was the noise. The wind seemed to howl, and the sound of the sea beating against the rocks roared through my head like a stampede. I could hear everything that was happening in the street. The sound of a car ignition, a slamming screen door, a child crying, an old porch swing creaking in the wind. You will learn how to block it out, said Gabriel. The sound of his voice startled me. Back home, we communicated without language. Gabriel's human voice, I discovered, was low and hypnotic. How long will it take? I winced as the shrill cry of a seagull sounded overhead. I heard my own voice, which was as melodic as a flute. Not long, Gabriel answered. It's easier if you don't fight it. Byron Street rose and peaked in the middle, and there, at its highest point, stood our new home. Ivy was immediately charmed. Oh, look! She clapped her hands in delight. It even has a name! The house had been named after the street, and Byron was displayed in an elegant script on a copper plaque. We would later discover that the adjoining streets were named after other English romantic poets. Keats Grove, Coleridge Street, Blake Avenue. Byron was to be both our home and our sanctuary while we were earthbound. It was a double-fronted, ivy-clad sandstone house set well back from the street, behind a wrought iron fence and double gates. It had a gracious Georgian facade and a gravel path leading to its flaking front door. The front yard was dominated by a stately elm, wrapped in a tangled mess of ivy. Along the side fence grew a profusion of hydrangeas, their pastel heads quivering in the morning frost. I liked the house. It looked like it had been built to weather any adversity. Bethany, hand me the key, said Gabriel. Looking after the key to the house was the only job I had been entrusted with. I felt around the deep pockets of my dress. 
It's here somewhere, I assured him. Please tell me you haven't lost it already. We did fall out of the sky, you know, I said indignantly. It's easy for things to go missing. Ivy laughed suddenly. You're wearing it around your neck. I breathed a sigh of relief as I slipped off the chain and handed it to Gabriel. As we stepped into the hallway, we saw that no expense had been spared in preparing the house for our arrival. The divine agents who'd preceded us had been meticulous in their attention to detail. Everything about the house suggested light. The ceilings were lofty, the rooms airy. Off the central hallway were a music room to the left and a living room to the right. Farther along, a study opened onto a paved courtyard. The rear of the house was an extension that had been modernized and was